Welcome to Sci Section. We are your hosts, Sherry and Kian. From time to time, we might forget the reason behind studying the sciences. It's not just about chemical titrations or DNA transcription, but rather it is about us. In this session, we want to talk about an important element in our day-to-day life: a twenty billion dollar industry, coffee, tea, or caffeine in general. To accompany the healthy breakfast we got last <laughs> week. The benefit to researching this is that spelling caffeine is a lot easier than it used to be. Like I used to always put the I before the E, even though it's a weird spelling. But now that I typed it so many times, it's like I got this. As always, we are not medical professionals and go to a real doctor for things. Different people have different rates of metabolizing caffeine, but there are some general factors that can make you metabolize it faster, like smoking cigarettes. Which makes you metabolize it faster and decreases the traces in your urine. People absorb caffeine by having it go up their gastrointestinal tract and traveling to the liver, where it undergoes demethylization by an enzyme called cytochrome P four fifty one A two CP one A two. That enzyme's name doesn't really matter, but that pathway may explain why some people have different responses to caffeine. If they have more of the enzyme, they'll metabolize it faster. Less of it, they'll metabolize it slower, and the remaining caffeine that travels throughout the body and to the brain and muscles are what creates its effects. So, what effect does caffeine have on the brain, Kian? In all the nervous system, caffeine is a potent antagonist, blocking neurotransmitters from adenosine receptors. Adenosine receptors are meant to be bound to adenosine molecules, which can make your brain tired. Oh, so they're the ones that build up when I'm awake at twelve o'clock at night. Yeah. So if adenosine molecules can't bind to the receptors, coffee binds to them instead, and this prevents that feeling of fatigue or tiredness. Also, this stimulates the release of more excitatory neurotransmitters, ultimately explaining the effects of caffeine on behavior. So. That's why I'm always bouncing off the walls when I have that large coffee in the afternoon, and then it gets metabolized, and then at nighttime it's like. Caffeine has been shown to influence cognition and mood, both in the short term and long term. However, the effects are individual dependent, varying among the population and by the amount consumed. In well-rested individuals, low and intermediate doses of caffeine, ranging from about thirty to three hundred milligrams, improves alertness. On the other hand, caffeine-sensitive people may experience irritability, tremors, sleep impairment, tachycardia, also known as high heartbeat, even at low doses. There is a reason people take caffeine, though. You all know the feeling of a long day where you can't get everything done and you need to stay up to do the things, sacrificing that precious, precious sleep we talked about in our debuting episode. For sleep-deprived people, positive effects of caffeine range far and wide, from learning, decision-making, and vehicle operation, such as aircrafts and automobiles, to reaction time and visual-spatial reasoning. Alertness: Caffeine consumption leads to such an increased alertness, mental energy, and ability to concentrate, especially for sleep-deprived people. This is likely the reason that caffeine is used so widespread. Lots of sad, sleepy people need it to function at normal level. 
With jet lag or night shifts, 13 randomized trials discovered that caffeine improved reasoning, memory orientation, attention, and perception when compared with placebo or other interventions like bright light and alertness medications. In addition to alertness, the other head stuff, headaches and pains can be mitigated by caffeine. Combining a mix of caffeine and pain relief medication like aspirin, acetaminophen, common brand name Tylenol, can make pain relief better. However, we got to be careful with these things. Habitual consumption of caffeine may lead to rebound headaches. Headaches are also the most common symptom of caffeine withdrawal. What do you mean by habitual consumption? I mean, like, you get a tolerance for it, Keon. You get used to drinking caffeine every morning. You're going to suffer when you don't have it. There are some important nutrition things to know when consuming caffeine in beverage forms like coffee, tea, and energy drinks. Coffee can make you absorb less iron, which you need for hemoglobin that carries oxygen in your red blood cells. Some tea contains antioxidants, which is good for preventing cancer and heart disease. That's because antioxidants mop up free radicals that are generated normally and when you're exposed to harmful things like sunlight, which can go around grabbing electrons off of existing structures in your cells. Those electrons could come off DNA, which would lead to damage and cancer. Energy drinks are full of sugar. Some drinks contain up to 8 teaspoons of sugar which can contribute to weight gain, hypertension, and diabetes. Canada's Food Guide recommends eating rather than drinking your calories. Speaking of recommendations, what is the suggested amount of caffeine that will be healthy, Sherry? I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about safe consumption and how much caffeine you can really have per day without it being harmful to your health. Adults can have an average of 400 milligrams each day which is like two regular coffees or four teas. Well, kids and adolescents need to be more careful. A 2004 to 2010 study showed an increase in caffeine used by teens, especially in soft drinks, with an additional increase in caffeine toxicity among that population. Powdered caffeine or caffeine pills can be bought over the counter and are a risk in accidental overdose. As well, mixing caffeine and other drinks like alcohol is not recommended. So can caffeine be really an addiction? Caffeine isn't technically an addiction because it doesn't meet the criteria for it. But excessive use does have some problems. The criteria for addiction, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5, DSM-5 for short, include hazardous use, we'll touch upon that later, Uh, physical or psychosocial problems related to use. Caffeine isn't really that much of a problem psychosocially because people drink it together. It's one of those food things. Social or interpersonal problems related to use. Most people don't get into arguments with their friends or significant others over drinking too much (laughs) coffee unless it's like in the morning and you just need to get to your coffee. Then it becomes kind of an issue there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) neglected major roles to use like abandoning your livelihood to drink coffee Uh, repeated attempts to control use or quit some people have experienced failures in quitting caffeine much time spent using it caffeine's more on the side than anything else activities given up to use you usually don't give up things to drink coffee used larger amounts and longer over time because of developing a tolerance. That does happen because some people lose their ability to get the mental benefits of caffeine because they've been using it for so long. And withdrawal and craving are the last ones which some people do experience. 
So overall, meet some of these, doesn't meet some others, so it's not quite a substance addiction. Let's get back to hazardous use, like overdose. In an observational study of over 200 people with an average age of 17 who contacted a poison control center after use of caffeinated energy drinks, common effects including the feeling of your own rapid heartbeat, tremors, nervousness, and upset stomach were reported. Less common and more harmful effects included serious neurologic and cardiac signs, arrhythmia, which is bad heart rhythm, lack of blood flow to heart or brain tissues, seizures, and finally, hallucinations. More than 125 individuals were hospitalized for adverse effects, and out of these, 57 consumed caffeinated energy drinks alone. Children and adolescents lack tolerance. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has described many cases of heart attacks, seizures, kidney and liver damage caused by high caffeine use. We just talked about high usage of caffeine. But there's the other end of the scale, where you're used to taking a high amount and then cut to nothing. Withdrawal. Common withdrawal symptoms include flu, headache, cold, and fatigue, which are traits people try to mitigate by taking caffeine. But there are also good things to caffeine usage. Well, we'll get to that after the break. There's some history behind caffeine and its status as a controlled substance in athletics. In sports, from 1980 to 2003, urine concentrations were not allowed for caffeine. But as of 2016, it's monitored on the WADA list, and it it is allowed for athletes. Caffeine improves long exercise capacity of over one and a half hours, sustained high-intensity training for up to an hour, and high-intensity and short-duration training, which is like wind sprints from one to five minutes. Single-event high-intensity sports like Olympic weightlifting, sprinting, throwing, high and long jumping may benefit from caffeine usage, although effects have not been proven. However, taekwondo and tennis competitors have been shown to have less fatigue after caffeine usage. Doses up to 200 milligrams of caffeine will have an impact on exercise energy and stamina, regardless of the form it is ingested in, like tea, coffee, tablet, or powder. Though variation in individual metabolism exists, caffeine is generally stored within 45 minutes, with peak blood concentrations seen after one hour, faster if taken in gum form. Also, caffeine has a complex range of actions, including simulation of adrenaline release, which will divert the blood flow to your muscles so you're not digesting food when you're having that fight-or-flight response, increased cardiac muscle inertrophy, which means more ions get released into your heart so it can pump harder and faster. Increased skeletal muscle contractility, so that fight-or-flight muscle response will actually be more and faster. And, get this, decreased perceived effort and fatigue. So even though you're going harder at it than you normally are, you don't feel like it. Would that be called placebo effect? Uh, Only if you're not going through withdrawal. Like, placeboing yourself into believing this is possible. But only if you're not used to caffeine and then it's suddenly taken away. Otherwise, you'll actually suffer more. Oh, true. After repeated use, tolerance can develop for some of caffeine's effects, such as its stimulant properties. But the fat-burning actions are not affected. Can you tell that I'm caffeinated? Nope, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Many... (laughs) 
Many athletes in endurance sports such as distance running and cross-country ski racing use caffeine. Military personnel are the same. This is done to increase alertness and for other purposes. It's believed that caffeine spares glycogen, a potent fuel source for both skeletal muscles, the brain, and red blood cells by encouraging fat oxidization, which is just using up the fat before it uses up the stored sugar, which is glycogen. How about energy drinks? Uh, energy drinks have good stuff in them, too. Energy drinks for sports are supposed to replace the electrolytes and carbohydrates used in physical activity because you're sweating out. Your sweat's kind of salty. Sports <laughs> drinks have low carbs and electrolytes, sodium, potassium, chloride, all that good stuff you need for your brain and action potentials, mixed with water for easy and fast absorption. Low concentrations. Keep that in mind. Energy drinks include other stimulant additives like caffeine, taurine, B vitamins, antioxidants, trace minerals, ginseng, which is believed to have some medicinal properties. My parents buy a lot to use as gifts. Uh, sucrose. Yeah, lots of fun things. There's approximately 50 to 500 milligrams of caffeine per can or bottle of energy drink. The higher concentration of carbs slows the absorption of the energy contents. So the caffeine content may actually dehydrate people who are already exercising and at risk for dehydration due to sweating. More and more people are using energy drinks around the world. Among youth, 31% of 12 to 17-year-olds consume energy drinks regularly with 5% of high school students and up to 6% of college students having one per day. Hey guys, are you okay? <laughs> like, really, I could roll my D20, and if it lands on one, that means you would have drink, been a person who drank one energy drink per day. That's not healthy. That's fine. And some other people, too, consume a lot of caffeine. Active United States military personnel consume large amount of energy drinks to assist with alertness and reduce fatigue. In a 2010 survey of United States troops in Afghanistan, 44.8% of respondents consumed a minimum of one energy drink per day, and 13.9% reported drinking three or more per day. The recommended daily dose of energy beverages is no more than 500 milliliters. Like, you know that sport drink Gatorade label that they have saying, yeah, only have one of these per day? Yeah. Yeah, one of those. Um, but this depends on the ingredients. Sports drinks combined with alcohol and other supplements can have dangerous effects. Hey, like, alcohol's a frequent thing. You should not mix with your meds. We should talk about this some other time. Yeah, maybe we can have it, an episode about it. What not to have with their medication. Or maybe alcohol. <laughs> well, stay tuned because you're not supposed to have alcohol either if you have this condition. It's actually pretty hard to measure precise caffeine metabolization in people, especially fetuses and pregnant people. Caffeine metabolites hold some value here, but there are more conclusive things to focus on for now. Using 13 studies from Medline and Scopus databases, with a total of over 100,000 subjects from Canada, US, and Europe, it was found that babies will have a small birth weight if caffeine is consumed during pregnancy. It's a linear correlation, by the way. The threshold effect is unaccounted for, and abstinence is advised. Low Look. amounts such as those found in chocolate and decaffeinated drinks are safe, though. So feel free to have your cravings when you have them. 
And another thing is for breathing. Since caffeine dilates the bronchioles, which are some lung tubes that you have in your lungs, it should be avoided when you have a respiratory condition and need to do the lung tube volume measuring thing called a spirograph. This is a problem for people with asthma and other respiratory problems since doctors need to know the extent of the condition to prescribe a dose to relax the bronchioles. So if you have a good day and you have caffeine and go in and it turns out that you might need a much higher dose later, then that's a problem. Small amounts of caffeine could improve lung function for up to four hours. So that's the tea to avoid before you get a spirometry. Let's talk about drugs. Lots of over-the-counter pain medications contain caffeine for pain relief. In a high-quality systematic review of 20 studies and a total of over 7,000 participants with a variety of pain from birth, post-birth, menstruation, dental, and others, 5 to 10% of people experience more pain relief with combined caffeine and pain relief medication than analgesic alone. Due to the small size of the studies, the pain relief may have been overstated. However, it does not seem to have an adverse effect. Let us have a summary of all the knowledge gained in this episode about caffeine. Caffeine is mainly consumed around the world for its neurological effects, which stem from a feeling of increased alertness, eventually leading to better learning, spatial reasoning, and reaction times. High-performance athletes also consume it for its feeling of energy, as well as its encouragement of fat as an energy source, rather than stored glycogen, allowing them to participate better in endurance sports. Caffeine usage can be a problem with tremors, heart arrhythmias, seizures, and blockages of blood flow to important areas such as the heart or brain in overdoses, especially in caffeine-sensitive ages, like children and adolescents, who have recently been increasing use of caffeine in their lives. Caffeine should also be avoided in pregnant people since it leads to a lower birth weight. It has an effect on lung dilation, making breathing easier too. There are many uses of caffeine, and it's best to stay safe and within the recommended dose, even though it is an easily accessible and useful substance. Thanks for the summary, Sherry. I think there is still more information that needs to be gathered about caffeine. It is a big industry, so we need to make sure about its roles in our lives. Yeah, but in the meantime, what should we do for next week? I mean, it's exam season. <laughs> All right, we should really talk about studying. That would be great. I bet everyone would love to hear nice tips about us studying before acing those final exams. Yay! So make sure to tune in next Wednesday to learn about studying. See, See you, you next, next week! week.